everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm Christian Apier, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Heather Brace. And Heather, I'm really excited to join you today because you're the very first person that we've interviewed in person. Everybody else has been done remotely over the phone or through an app. So this is the very first interview we're trying face-to-face. So thank you so much for carving out the time. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, but we probably should tell people we've sanitized the table. We're sitting six feet apart. So it's fun to be the first in a pandemic to be meeting face-to-face, but we're following all the right protocols. Absolutely, you're following the right protocols, and we must follow the right protocols. We're actually sitting in the offices of Intermountain Healthcare. Yes. Yeah, so you asked me how I'm doing. I'm doing great. Um, I Gosh, we just mentioned that it had been 18 years since we have seen each other, and Christian said I look the same, and I said he looks the same. So either we're both telling fairy tales or not much has changed uh, since 18 years, right, Christian? Or we're looking at history through these rose-colored glasses. <laughs> well, I have the glasses on. You don't have any That's glasses right. on, but I, right. I need the lenses. I need the lenses. So uh, we're here in the uh, IAC offices. What are we doing here? Well, this is, you know, after the Olympics, um, maybe people don't know, when, all, the whole time I worked for the Olympics, I was actually a loaned employee by Intermountain Healthcare uh, to the Olympics. Um, I started in uh, February of 2000. Um, so I never started at an inner mountain location. I always worked at the Olympics uh, for my start date. And then after the games were over, um, I was absorbed back into the inner mountain system and I've been here ever since. So uh, this past February, I celebrated my 20th anniversary at Intermountain Healthcare. And um, today I am the senior vice president and chief people officer for Intermountain Healthcare. So I have oversight of all people strategy and operations for all of our 41,000 caregivers at Intermountain Healthcare. Holy cow, 41,000 people. 41, that boggles 000. my mind. I don't think I've ever managed more than 20 people in my life. So <laughs> I, I, the, the managing so many people is a foreign concept to me. But, you know, we're in an interesting time here. You mentioned that we've sanitized everything. Um, you know, what's it been like going through this entire COVID pandemic for you and, and your firm? Well, it's been nonstop. We took our first COVID patient on February 28th, and I think I've had a half day off since February 28th. So it's been a a long, um, crazy ride since last of February. But uh, as I just met with my team before coming to this meeting, and, you know, there's so many great things that have come out of the pandemic. Um, Certainly it's chaotic, it's hard, it's confusing, it's ambiguous, it's uncertain, But there's many things that we've been trying to do as an organization that's only been accelerated because of the pandemic. So one of them, we're both here in the office today where thousands of people used to work in two buildings here in in Key Bank Tower and World Trade Center, but none of those people are here today. So we have 11,000 people working from home right now. And that's something that my team in HR had been working on piloting um, for over a year. We'd been trying to really push this idea of flexibility. And overnight, that happened. And we are really trying hard to not rewind back to bringing every single person back into an office space. So we're doing really well working from home. We're still very productive. And um, I think it's going to be good for our people. And certainly there's some business uh, uh, opportunities with that as well as it relates to cost savings. So 
Well, I know we're here to talk about Salt Lake 2002, but I actually want to ask a question about that because in order to get this mass number of people to work remotely to change this, you certainly have to have the technology infrastructure in place to allow that to happen. And then you've got to have the management infrastructure in place to, to facilitate that. So t talk to me a little bit about what that was like to have to make sure that all that technology infrastructure was mobilized and then make sure that uh, from a management perspective, the people could be effectively managed remotely? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So prior to the pandemic, it was not uncommon for us to never have more than about a thousand people working from home or working telework uh, in our organization. So today I said we have about 10 or 11,000 out of the office. Um, it does require a lot of management, it requires really good technology. We were fortunate uh, the winter before the pandemic to have a really bad snowstorm. You remember last, I don't know, we got like our biggest snowstorm where school systems shut down for the first time in ages. And that day we were unable to get everybody who needed to stay home onto our systems. So our IS group was really proactive after that day and made sure that we bought additional licenses for VPN. And then prior to the pandemic, we actually held two what we called drills, telework drills, where we had people broken up into two groups and group A worked at home on Wednesday and group B worked at home on Thursday. And then on Friday, we tested it all just to make sure it could happen. And we were able to do it. Now we've had bumps in the road here and there, you know, if, I, I think there's one line that's going to be pervasive through the pan pandemic for everybody. And it's, you're on mute. Can you take yourself off mute? Can you hear me now? So um, we've had a lot of adjustment about how you have meetings ongoing um, uh, remotely, virtually. And my team, along with partnering with our IT folks and other people in the system, we've really tried to continually um, survey our leaders and people who are working from home to say, what's working? What's not working? What do you love? What do you hate? Um, and then iterate on that, you know, just continue to provide resources and tools and help people. So it's a journey. I don't know if you'll ever get there, but we're doing really well. That that whole topic fascinates me, and we can talk about that for hours. But I'm sure our listeners are like, okay, let's get to the let's get to the stories of the games. All right. So you mentioned that you joined um, Intermountain Healthcare in February of 2000. 2000 and were seconded or loaned to the organizing committee. Did you join Intermountain Healthcare specifically to work the games, or were you joining for something else, and then you just happened to fall into this game space? Yeah. So I was working at Arthur Anderson at the time. It was 1999 when I applied for the job. Uh, and if you remember Arthur Anderson in 1999, lots of stuff going on with Y2K and um, that organization was shifting as well. And it just lots of things writing on the wall. So I started applying for jobs. I was a recruiter for Arthur Anderson and I applied for in the newspaper, if you can believe it or not, I cut out a little strip that said Salt Lake 2002 Medical Volunteer Manager. It never mentioned Intermountain Healthcare. So I did not know that I was applying for a job with Intermountain. I thought I was applying for a job with Salt Lake 2002, which, which it was. Um, but when I was hired, I was told that my salary and benefits were um, being provided. Uh, by the by the games. And you remember, we worked with lots of people who were loaned employees to the games. People paid their salaries and benefits and they were completely embedded in the the game services. So 
Yeah, I was one of those people initially because I worked for IBM before joining the Salt Lake Organizing Committee and IBM was just transitioning out of its sponsorship. And at the time there was there was the question, could I be a loaned employee from IBM as well? But then as they were moving out, they decided nope. So I ended up joining Slack as an actual staff member. But you're right. We had contractors and loan employees and full-time staff and games time employment and volunteers. Now you mentioned that your role was the medical services volunteer manager. So what did that role entail? So I was responsible for building the, the volunteer program for the medical volunteers. All, um, uh, all of our physicians, our nurses, our athletic trainers, all of, if you remember at every single location, we had a medical station. And we had in the Olympic Village, we had a semi-hospital that was run in partnership with the University of Utah. So um, my responsibility was to put together the entire recruitment and deployment of all the people that worked in medical services. Those red coats, if you remember them. Yeah, the red coats. You guys got cool uniforms. The rest of us had to deal with the you know mountain shadow uh, uh, uniforms, but the red ones, uh, very, very cool. One of the questions I have about the, the medical services here in Salt Lake City because you require people that have very specialized skills, like you said, physicians and nurses and, and, and all these, were you able to source most of those locally or did you have to bring some uh, staff from outside of the Salt Lake area? We brought lots of people from outside the Salt Lake area. I mean, there were, you know, Utah is such a giving volunteer state. Um, we had a lot to choose from, from here and Intermountain and the university's role in the Olympics um, allowed a lot of flexibility with their staff to, to participate. We required everybody who participated, they had to participate for 14 shifts um, to get the, the envied coat and all the goodies that came along with it. So it was a lot for people to sacrifice, to, to take off two weeks of work. Um, but we, we uh, worked with physicians from all over the country and some from outside of the country. And so one of the main things I partnered back with Intermountain Healthcare because Intermountain Healthcare was responsible for credentialing all of those individuals, making sure that their licenses were good, that they didn't have anything in their background that posed any issues. Um, so lots of people locally, but also lots of people from all over the, the country and even the world. And for the people that came from out of state, how, how did you handle accommodations and things like that for them? Well, we worked with our accommodations group at the Salt Lake uh, Olympics. So there was a whole department of uh, that just focused on accommodations pre-Airbnb VRBO, right? Like, <laughs> could you imagine how fun that would have been? We probably all would have rented our houses out during Absolutely. that time. But um, we worked with our accommodations group and there were places for people to stay. You know, it was interesting. So many people knew people in Salt Lake, though. And I housed several people during the games who came here just to just to volunteer. I'm sure you or many other people did as well. So there was lots of bunking going on during the games. <laughs> it was crowded spaces. But if you were like me, Christian, you pretty much were never at your house from early February through maybe beginning of April. And I think I wore the same thing for 20 odd days. So <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I did not have anybody staying with my, uh, with my family at my home, but at that time I had four small children. Mm -hmm. So our home was pretty full and I'm guessing that nobody would want to stay there anyway with four kids running around screaming and yelling and making messes and throwing food at each other. I'm sure you've got some stories that you want to share. So let's just dive right into those. What are some of the stories that you had on your mind as we talked about doing this podcast? Well, a couple of things that that come to mind. You know, I, I think about even today, the Olympics was probably the most diverse 
interesting group of people I ever worked with. I mean, uh, I know that you've gone on to support like other games. So you probably have had some of these similar experiences, but there was, you would walk the halls of our building, um, and you would hear languages from all over the world. You would hear accents from all over the world. People came from every kind of industry, every kind of business. And the friends that we made during the Olympics, my husband and I, he actually didn't work for the Olympics, but uh, got him involved in the doping volunteer very early in the, in the games. And so he still today volunteers at Deer Valley as a, as a doping um, a tester. Uh, for for athletes who come to Deer Valley. And we developed just a very wide group of friends. And we traveled together during the buildup to the games. I mean, we'd go all over the state just camping and just playing all over the state. But people that you've been glued to um, since the games, probably not talking to them as much as we should today. But one of my favorite trips, um, there was a group of probably 15 or 20 of us that uh, the summer before the games we took a caravan of Chevy Blazers. It probably would, today probably wouldn't even be okay because remember we all got these donated Chevy Blazers to drive around. That was a great program. Um, it was a great program. It was like a loaned vehicle for like six or eight months. But we took this big group of people down to Moab and we stayed down there for, I don't know, three or four nights. And I, there's a photo we have of um, the Olympic flag on one of the Moab rocks with like 20 of us um, standing around it. And we had this Olympic flag that we would take everywhere. So no matter where we would go, we'd pull this Olympic flag out and um, the Salt Lake 2002 Games flag. And it was fun. It's fun to go back and look at all those pictures. But I don't think I've ever had an experience of working with such a diverse and interesting group of people. It's funny. Several people have mentioned going down to Moab or other places in Southern Utah as one of the highlights of being here, particularly those people who weren't from here. You had a lot of people from out of state who came and worked for the games or even internationally, as you mentioned, and they loved going down there. Now, I did an interview recently with Christy Nicolay, who said she was the queen of the s'mores. And I have to know, are you a s'mores person? Do you like the s'mores? It's a little messy for me. Um, I don't, I actually don't even like camping. So that might've been pre- <laughs> I think as I've gotten older, I've decided things that I really like and I don't like. I don't really like skiing, so I don't go skiing anymore. I don't really like camping, so I don't go camping anymore. It was fun with that group. I will tell you a funny story, though, that I bet um, Carl and Scott, both in food services, um, Scott Gingrich and um, uh, Carl, I'm forgetting his last name. Um, I don't remember. I can't remember, but they both worked in food services. They were We traveled a lot together. But... Um, they worked really hard to make a Dutch oven cobbler the night before. Okay. We had this great dinner over the fire. They were amazing cooks and, um, everybody probably had a little too much to drink and we all went to bed and I got up super early that next morning and I thought I'm going to be really handy. Everybody's still in bed in the, in the tents and I was uncomfortable and could not sleep. So I thought I'm going to clean up the whole campsite. I washed the Dutch ovens with soap and water. And I thought Carl and Scott were going to kill me because you do not wash Dutch ovens. Yeah, they're seasoned. You don't want all the food to stick to them, right? So in all, I mean, t today I can look back on it and laugh, but I think they were so angry at me. 
I probably ruined their many years of seasoning on the Olympic cast iron. You remember we all got Olympic I still have it. Dutch ovens? I still have mine too. I've never but, used um, it. In, in my ability to be incredibly helpful, um, I learned a very uh, uh, sage cooking uh, lesson. You do not wash things that are seasoned. So I have cast iron now and I always think about that. So Carl and Scott, I apologize. I ruined your cast iron cobbler pans. <laughs> well, I assume the statute of limitations is probably expired. I hope it's so. passed on the on the washing of those uh, those. Yeah, I have the I have the, that Dutch oven still in storage, which I've never used. It's in my garage. It's still sitting in the box. And my wife on occasion says, oh, are you sure you want to keep that thing? Cause we never use it. I'm like, well, it's a memento, you know, it's from I, the Olympics. It's from the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, I can't part with it. We have boxes and boxes of stuff in our basement. And as we remodeled our house a couple of years ago, we got rid of a lot of stuff, but could not part with one single thing. I saved every newspaper through the games. I saved all of, do you remember daily? They came out with a little like magazine kind of thing. Right. I have all of those. I've never looked through them, but there's just something I feel like I can't part with it. Yeah, I so, I, I didn't collect that many things. <laughs> Christian, I still have all the staffing plans. I, <laughs> and the other day I was going through stuff and I was like, I really should just get rid of these. These are all paper. But if anybody ever needed the staffing plans for the medical uh, volunteers, I have them all. <laughs> Well, it's funny. Our listeners cannot see us, but I still use this Salt Lake 2002 wallet oh, to this day wow. <laughs> for 18 years. This thing's been sitting in my back pocket. And uh, yeah, well, that's a testament it. to how good of the product that was. Exactly. We still have all of our ski pants because you remember we got so many ski pants that you I, I don't know. I feel like we had piles of ski pants and we use that for guests who come and Maybe they've forgotten a pair or they need an extra or something like that. So we have a drawer full of Olympic fleece and Olympic ski pants. I still use the gloves and the shoes when I shovel snow Yeah. to this day. So they've lasted forever. I, I'm, I'm surprised at how long the, those things have lasted. So it's been, it's been great. I still carry this dumb wallet around here. With and me. so have the jackets. I don't know about you, but we have a little game that some of us play and be like Olympic coat sightings, you know, we'll take pictures and send them to our friends via another Olympic coat. Yeah. You still see him out there. You still see him out there <laughs> every once in a while. I, you know, because I did a lot of work with Darren Hughes, he was able to get me one of those IOC medical commission coats. Ooh, it was silver, really ones, long, yeah. really long one went down to here, but I'm, I'm too chicken to break that one out. I, I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Heather, what else you got? What other fun or interesting stories do you have? Well, I do remember all of the fun during the games too, of just, um, you know, being a, the person who was over the medical volunteer program, I did have a pretty nice pass. So I had one that had like layers of where I could go. I don't think there was any place that I couldn't go. So that was a beautiful thing. Um, and I loved that access. It was really nice. But I remember all of the famous people that you got to see almost at every single venue. Um, I remember being uh, in our building, our main building, one of the days, and I got on the elevator with Katie Couric and Matt Lauer. That was pretty fun. Um, I remember seeing the hockey game at um, the E-Center, and Rudy Giuliani was there. That was really interesting. He's very short, um, much shorter than I anticipated. But just how fun it was to just go all around the city. Um, it was almost like 
everything was perfect for that two weeks. If you remember, it snowed right before the games. The weather was just, you know, crisp enough to be cool. But Alta, the most fun place was the Meadows Plaza. I um, I probably spent the majority of my time there watching those concerts and spending time with the volunteers there. So it was it was quite the fun just being downtown and thousands of people literally mingling in Salt Lake City and, you know, in streets that two weeks earlier were just empty. And, uh, you know, we had thousands of people roaming around. So I don't know, it was just like this winter wonderland that was converted what felt like overnight. And it you, you miss that, miss that little hubbub that it created in the city. So you're kind of roaming around during games time, but did you have a, like a home base during games? Were you in the main operations center or a functional area command or, or where was your kind of home during the games? My home was at the, the medals plaza. So I, I, but then I roamed around a lot uh, to go check on medical volunteers. Cause you know, people would get sick or can't do something and we had to, to fill in the gaps um, during the games, but it was at the medals plaza where I spent most of the time. So what was yeah. your favorite concert? Oh gosh. Um, what is the Canadian group that's kind of quirky? I saw the, yeah, the Bare Naked Ladies. Bare Naked Ladies. They yeah. were my favorite. And I didn't even think I liked them. And the music was fun. And then we saw them uh, a couple of times at Red Butte after that. And they're just quite the audience graspers. You know, they get an audience going and super funny. And But that was probably my favorite one. Yeah, yeah. that was a really good one. I enjoyed that one too. And the, the singers had the the speed skating outfit on and everything. <laughs> that was great. It was really great. That was so. hilarious. Um, talk about some of the friendships you mentioned that you made uh, a lot of friends working there in Salt Lake. And many people that I've talked to have friendships that have lasted to this day. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about some of the friendships that you made while you were there. Yeah, such a, it was a pretty tight group of medical services. Um, we were on the same floor as sport. Uh, so it was medical services and sport. So and then food services, I think, was just around the corner. So a lot of my friends were either in food services, sport, or medical services. And um, still keep in touch with, um, like I said, not as often as we should. We used to really get together a lot after the games. Um, last year, though, we a small group of us got together up at Park City and sort of had a little... Um, anniversary, so to speak. But, you know, a couple of really good friends, my very best friend from high school moved out here. I convinced her to, to move out here. Robin Spira, she, um, she came out and worked for the games as well as a recruiter in HR. And, um, Dustin Thomas, uh, Dustin actually became a really good friend. He was on the doping group and we're still very close today. He works in healthcare. He's a strategy officer for a hospital system in Texas. And we, we text each other quite a bit. He has, still has roots in Salt Lake city. Um, but there was a, a, a group that we just roamed around and, you know, a couple of weddings have happened. And then once babies started happening after the games, just getting together, Lisa Lawrence, she worked in sports. She was a recruiter in HR. You remember Lisa? Yeah, I do. Um, we still are friends today. Uh, she got married uh, during the games and our kids uh, early in their life, you know, we, we saw each other quite a bit, but we actually live like within walking distance from each other. And we are constantly telling each other we got to get together more often, but I don't know how we don't run into each other more frequently, but, um, you know, I, I think just reminiscing about this, it just makes me want to reach out today and say how much I, I miss everyone. So it was really good times. We did lots of, like I said, travel. We had lots of fun with concerts. Gosh, we ate out 
more than our fair share. I don't think I've cooked a meal during the whole time we were going up to the games. It just felt way more fun to to eat out at restaurants and hang out till wee hours of the night. So. <laughs> Well, the games were like a huge party. I mean, it, it was, was really hard work. I want to come to back, back to that in a minute. It was hard work, but at the same time, it felt like a tremendous amount of fun. And then it ended. And then it ended. And so what was like when it ended? I mean, you knew where you were going. You had a place to go. You're going back, as you said, were absorbed back into the organization of IHC. But a lot of people, you know, they just left. Yeah, that was a weird time because... Um, I don't think you could ever prepare yourself really for what, I mean, it was like this culmination. You're going, 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 working night and day for a solid year. And then the games are just something that you can't even explain to people the amount of work you're doing, but what you're doing. And then literally one day it was over. Like you wake up, people's desks were cleared off. Pictures were taken off the wall. Moving vans came and picked up stuff. And you just have this moment. It was like, it's over. Um, I did go back into Intermountain and I worked, you know, at Select Health. I was absorbed back into our insurance portion where I did some work with provider relations. But I think probably for two years, I had a little bit of, um, I don't even know what you call it. It was kind of sadness and grief and a little bit confusion about what you wanted to do with your life. Because I always had this measuring stick of nothing could be as fun as the games. Um, nothing is ever going to be as cool as what you did during that moment. You know, today that that's past. I miss it. I always wonder if like, if it comes back to Salt Lake, would I be interested in diving back in and, you know, doing something? Oh, you something know, and- we have to get the band back together. <laughs> I, hope my, I know we do have to get the band back together. Hopefully my kids would be gone out of the house at that point. Cause maybe they could work or volunteer or, or volunteer yeah, for sure. But I don't, I, I mean, you know, it really is, uh, it's kind of a sadness you can't really explain. And it's like a loss. It's almost like you lost an arm and, you know, you didn't, nobody ever told you that's what it was going to feel like. And, but everybody disperses and goes back to their places and you just move on. Yeah. I mean, life goes on and you do continue on, but yeah, it was hard. It was hard. So what were some of the challenges that you faced and what were some of the things you did to maybe overcome the challenges? Well, I don't think I, it it always felt like you never had enough time, right? You had this really condensed amount of time. like You're planning for the biggest party ever. And um, I think maybe early in my career, because of that, I learned um, you can't, you're never going to get to perfect. You've just, because the games are going to come whether you want them to or not. And there's always one more person to recruit, one more spot to fill. But but all of a sudden, it doesn't matter once it starts. You just you just dive in, dive in and go forward. Um, some of the hard things, I mean, just when you're trying to credential that many people um, to come from out of state and in state, when you're trying to, you know, everybody had where they wanted to be and you knew you couldn't put everybody watching the the uh, aerial show at the Deer, at Deer Valley. That was a super popular place. Um I love curling now, but, you know, trying to convince people, hey, we want to put you at the curling station in Ogden versus, you know, the speed skating or the figure skating. You know, that was it was really trying to put this gigantic puzzle of people together because you needed staff in all of those places and trying to get people's preferences when you know you couldn't you couldn't meet the expectations. So, um it was fun though. I mean, we recruited lead physicians to lead all the facilities. They also had a huge role in um, 
in staffing their own areas, which was good. Um, but yeah, it was sort of the disappointment. You know, so many people wanted to do it. They wanted to give their time, but they wanted to go where they wanted to go. So that was always a bit uh, political. Yeah, it's hard to manage expectations, no doubt about it. Clearly, you learned a lot while you were there. What were some of the lessons that you learned working in Salt Lake that have helped you throughout your career? Well, to be flexible, um, to to just, you know, there's a certain amount of planning that has to happen. And like I said, then the day comes and, you know, everything's got to be in place or it isn't. So um, I think working across groups, you know, you couldn't accomplish what you needed to accomplish in your own department. You had to have the sport people and the, and the accommodations folks and the credentialing people. And so really learning to partner across functions is something that's, um, has been valuable to me even today. And, um, you know, I think I told you when you, you and I were talking about possibly doing this just recently in the pandemic, um, we deployed a hundred caregivers of Intermountain to go back and support our friends in New York at hospitals in New York, where it was overtaxed with, um, with COVID. And that was a moment that took me back to the Olympics. It felt like what you were trying to accomplish during the games. You were, you were really trying to stand up something very, very quickly. It was really important to get all the things right. You had to make sure people were appropriately credentialed. They were going to be safe. You know, they were matched to their specialty. Um, but also realizing that in times like that, you can do things faster than you ever thought you would do it. And that at the end of the day, when you match people with uh, their purpose and their passion, everything else just seems to fall into place. And these magical memories and these moments that matter happen. Um, it, it took me back almost 20 years as I was putting that together for our system just two months ago. Well, I like that story a lot, and I know I might be digressing a little bit from the theme of Salt Lake 2002, but you have these hundred people that go off to New York City and they, they work there and they've come back. What were some of the lessons that they learned uh, that Intermountain Healthcare is looking to apply here in Utah? Yeah, so one of the main purposes that we put this together was because uh, when this started to happen and then there were hot spots all over the country, we started having lots of our caregivers say that they wanted to go help. And um, we were a little bit nervous, like if they went away and helped other locations, would we be able to staff our own units and would they bring back COVID and it potentially be a safety issue? So um, brainstormed and came up with this way of saying, hey, let's send our own people. We can really monitor safety. We can use it as not only a learning opportunity in our system, but use it as a learning opportunity for the community. And that's exactly what it was. Um, they have brought back um, ways that we can prepare for a surge. I mean, you know, unfortunately, as we've returned back to a little bit of regular way of life, we're seeing COVID spread a little bit more. And we're seeing our hospitals get a little busier right now. And we're using a lot of those things we learned in New York to help us prep um, how we staff our units, how we um, allocate equipment, how, where do we put uh, patients and hospitals. And so there's a lot of lessons learned. The other things too, is, um, it's about perspective a little bit. You know, I think when you work here and, um, 
you know, our caregivers, many of them have been here for many years, and then we send them to another system and another state. Um, they also get to really recognize the great things about our organization too. I mean, I remember a couple of our caregivers coming back. We've had a lot of pain with implementing our electronic medical record, but we did one consistent electronic medical record so that all of our hospitals could speak to each other. And when our caregivers went back to New York, the hospitals don't have that luxury. So many of them have multiple EMRs. And one of the things they came out was like, I will never talk poorly about our EMR again. You know, it's just such a luxury in what it can do with care to be able to use the same system across one organization. So perspective is probably something that was learned um, and something probably not even expected. Wow. Well, that's a fascinating story. And I I hope that uh, things will remain calm here and that we don't get overtaxed like our friends in New York did. Hopefully the social distancing and everything will continue and and uh, we'll have and a measure. wear your mask yes. when you go out in public. Everybody wear your mask. Got my mask right here. I always go out with it uh, in public. Heather, this has been a huge amount of fun. I've really enjoyed our conversation. But before we finish, we do have a few assignments. Uh, you already talked about concerts at the plaza. So music has come up already in our conversation. But is there a particular song or it could be songs um, that when you hear them today, they remind you of Salt Lake 2002? You know, this probably is really cheesy. And I racked my brain on, I mean, I love music. But if there is one song or one bit of music that sort of just makes the hair stand on my arms. It's the John Williams Call of the Champions. And every now and again, you hear it. And when I hear it, it stops me in my tracks. And this flood of amazing memories comes back. And matter of fact, last week, I was kind of culling through all the songs of that time. And I just kept going back to that particular song when I played it. Like, I literally... Tears came to my eyes just because it was standing at Rice Eccles Stadium and hearing that song and how much pride and how much joy you had and how much it all felt like it's here and it and it finally all came together. So I think that piece of music will always bring just a flood of memories back. Well, it's not cheesy at all. And you're not the only person who have actually mentioned that oh, really? piece of music, John Williams. Uh so several people share your opinion that uh, whenever they hear that, they get the goosebumps on their arms and and uh, and maybe shed a little tear too. So uh, absolutely, that's got to be on the Spotify playlist. Let's talk about food now. Food. Yes, I'm happy to talk with a fellow food lover. Particular restaurant that you like to go to when you work there in the Salt Lake Organizing Committee? Um, I, w I had to reach out to a couple of friends to remember the name of it, but we used to go to the spot almost every single day for lunch. And it was packed to the gills um, every single day. And it was in the basement of one of the buildings on Main Street. And it was called Boston Deli. Do you remember Boston Deli? Boston Deli. That's right. Yeah. We used to have Boston Market, Boston Deli. But it was Boston Deli. Yeah, Boston they Deli. They had amazing sandwiches. They had these really amazing salads, but their rolls, they had these bocce rolls that were so good. I would always get a second, which is probably why I gained a few pounds during the games. <laughs> <laughs> I loved those rolls and to dip it into the, the dressing, the salad dressing that they had. So that was a place that, you know, that was another thing. Lunch was a big time at the games because it was a social thing. And, almost, you know, everybody would go to lunch together. And I just remember going in the, it was in the basement of uh, one of that big stone, concrete, beautiful building. It's kind of triangular on Main Street. 
And it would be packed to the gills every single day. We'd eat outside upstairs and, but Boston Deli. Boston Deli. Okay. It's not there anymore. No. And can I give but, you one other? Oh, of course. Do you remember the Trolley Wing Company? The Trolley Wing Company. I don't it was remember. In the, um, it was in the uh, parking lot of Trolley Square. And it was a little trolley car. And all they sold was beer and wings. And we probably spent more money and more time at Trolley Wing Company. We would go there like three nights a week. We had our own mugs that had our names etched in them. Because that's how often we ate and drank there. But... We had our fair share of, of wings as well. So that place also doesn't exist at Trolley anymore. Um, I had heard that they were reopening it, but um, we spent countless thousands of hours at Trolley Wing Company. Well, if they do reopen it, I'll put it on our map. We've yeah. got a map on the website with all the restaurants that people have chosen. So hopefully when this pandemic is over, we can all go to the restaurants that we used to go to when we worked in Salt Lake. So probably wouldn't be as fun anymore because I don't drink beer and I don't eat chicken wings. So, oh, <laughs> but I'd go just for the fun of it and meet up with some friends. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. To wrap us up here, Heather, what's that goosebump moment for you? Whew, yeah. Racked my brain on this one. Um, you know, I can remember the more, the morning of September 11th, like it was yesterday and getting ready to come. It was a Tuesday morning, getting ready to come to work and seeing that first plane hit the building in New York City. And then the second one happened and you had this feeling that just shook you to your core that something's not right. Um, if you'll remember, probably for a couple of weeks, we didn't know if we were gonna have the games. And it's probably maybe even longer than a couple of weeks, but uh, then there was a moment that we announced, yep, we're gonna have the games and there was gonna be incredible security. And all of a sudden in Salt Lake City, you know, you started seeing armed people everywhere and these barricades. And the day that they put that gigantic flag on the Olympic building still gives me just this feeling of pride and in hard times we can do it. And you know what, Christian, the day that we had to cancel, because we originally had this scheduled a week or so ago, I had that same feeling because uh, I had come to work the day before and it was after everything that had happened in Salt Lake um, with the protests. And then it got out of hand on that one Saturday. And I drove to work and there were these armed military people and there were barricades everywhere. And I had that. It took me back to that first time that I drove to work after 9-11. And instead of being really scared, I thought, this is all going to be OK. It's all going to be OK. And it is. It's, there's great things happening in the, in the fear and the uncertainty. And that's probably something I learned out of the games is it'll all be okay. And so when I see Intermountain Medical Center recently put a really big flag on our hospital, um, at, you know, during the pandemic and it, all of those just seem to cross over back to the Olympics and kind of gives me those little warm, fuzzy feelings that I had. Yeah, it's, it's amazing because out of the tragedy that we have witnessed with the pandemic and also with all of the social unrest and the, the inequality um, that people are protesting uh, right now, we can find some hope, you know, in all of that. Whether it's in these symbols, like you just mentioned, mm -hmm. seeing that huge uh, flag. flag unfurling or seeing countless acts of kindness uh, that people have uh, performed. My my wife and I were just looking at a story that was on CNN the other day about uh, a hospital housekeeper in Orlando who just by talking to her patient or she went well, she's not the patient, but, but a patient in the hospital, but she would just go in to clean and disinfect the room and just have a little conversation with the guy. And the guy said, this is what saved my life was just mm. this, this little housekeeper 
just giving me 40 seconds of attention, you know? Um, and so it's those little things. Those incredible moments of humanity. Exactly. And I think that's what we saw leading up to the games. And I think those are the lights that are coming out right now in everything that feels a little bit uncertain. Yeah, we've seen some horrific moments, but I think there have been so many amazing moments where people have uh, very selflessly uh, met the needs of another. Yep. Could have been a friend, but could be somebody they, they didn't even know. So, Heather, this has been uh, very inspiring for me. Thank oh, you so thank much. You. This I, has been great for me, taking me down to memory lane. I'm going to reach out to my old pals. Thank you again for joining us, listeners. Please like and subscribe to this podcast, and uh, we'll join you next week. Heather, once more, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you.